As I mentioned earlier, we come to number five in our uh, series in the book of Proverbs, and so please do turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs. Uh, We're going to bring up all the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning on the screen. There's just too many to turn to, uh, but it is helpful as certain verses strike your own heart this morning that perhaps you turn to those, uh, underline them. Uh, hopefully you've got your little booklet, uh, you're adding the, uh, the worksheets or the, uh, the handouts week by week and just building up a, a kind of a helpful index uh, to themes that run through the book of Proverbs and that this will encourage you in your personal walk with the Lord uh, and also as you seek to uh, minister to and counsel others that might ask you uh, to give a reason for the hope that you have and that you can point them to the lessons that you are learning from God's Word. So we come today to consider the one thing that occupies the single, single largest allocation of our time in our lives on this earth, and that is the whole subject of work. If we assume that sleep occupies one-third of our life, uh, then the remaining two-thirds of our life, at least half of that, but more likely 60% or more of your waking hours is spent at work. So when we just think about all that God's Word says to us about our lives here on earth, about the purpose of our lives, about how we are to live our lives and to conduct ourselves as Christians in this world, I hope it's obviously clear that most of the biblical counsel in God's Word aimed at our lives Uh, is not aimed at the few hours that you spend at home in the evenings or your free time on weekends, but is actually meant to be understood in the context of the majority hours of our life, which is our work. And the book of Proverbs has an amazing treasure chest of wisdom regarding work. But before we can look at these Proverbs and understand them correctly, we need to begin with a right biblical theology of work. And we need to do that because the writer, Solomon, and other uh, men of God who wrote the book of Proverbs assumed that a theology of work would be in place by the time we come to Proverbs. But in reality, for most people today, uh, that theology of work is at best misunderstood. At worst, it is entirely missing, sadly, amongst many Christians. So to illustrate this misunderstanding, let's consider the the title of our sermon this morning, Work, the Meaning of Your Life. Are you perhaps confused by that statement, or, or does your heart resonate with this and say, yes, I know exactly what you mean? See, for some this morning, maybe you think of work as a necessary evil. It's a slog and a grind simply to pay the bills and in order that you can then actually live the rest of your waking hours uh, when you're not at work with purpose. Well, then I would challenge you today to consider that you have an unbiblically low view of work. But perhaps you're on the other extreme this morning where your work really is the meaning of your life in that it has become an idol. Your whole identity is bound up in your position Uh, In in the business world, your career uh, enables you to buy a whole host of things which your heart desires. It gives you influence over other people. 
Well, then, if that is your attitude to work this morning, I would ask you to consider that you have an unbiblically high view of work. So we need to start this morning with a right theology of work, to understand it as God intended for us as human beings, and then we can come to the Proverbs and we, cons- and we can consider the, the spiritual and practical advice that they give us regarding our work. So let's start this morning with the theology of work. And the very first three chapters of the Bible, but particularly Genesis 1 and 2, lays out for us the framework for rightly understanding the subject of work, what God intended it to be and what went wrong. Genesis 1, you know well, I hope, it's a, it's a record of God creating the universe, the heavens and the earth, the, the stars and the planets, the, the mountains and the oceans, the plants and, and animals and all the other living creatures. And when we get to Genesis 2, we read these verses. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So the first chapter of the Bible is therefore a record of God working. But in chapter one, we also read of God's unique creation of human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And in Genesis 1, 28, we read, and God blessed them and God said to them, that's to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So Genesis 1:28 is a crucial verse which theologians call the cultural mandate. It's a mandate from God which reveals the nature and the purpose of our lives as human beings here on earth, which is that God has entrusted to us as human beings the stewardship of all that he has created. We are given the mandate to have dominion over all that he has made in order to nurture and cultivate and manage and rule over the resources of the earth. And then God specifically links this cultural mandate to his purpose for work in our lives. In Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So right from the beginning of the Bible, work is something very good. It is in essence part of the character of God. God is a a God of action. He brings into being that which was not through work. And who then entrusts to us as human beings this mandate to continue his work as stewards uh, in and over all that God has created. And so we know in Genesis chapter three, sin comes into the world and part of God's curse uh, as a result of the fall was that work would now become hard. It would be painful at times. There would be thorns and thistles and some of the joy of work would now become toil. 
But nevertheless, God does not change his attitude to and purpose for work. It continues to be good, and it continues to be God's purpose for us as human beings. And so we see this most clearly in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus being both fully God and fully human, he helps us to have a right theology of work. John 5 verse 17, Jesus said, my father is working until now, and I am working. In other words, God never stops working. Jesus never stops working, and so we who are created in his image are meant to, to live out and to follow his perfect example in seeing all our lives as working unto the Lord. Maybe one last verse on the, the theology of work will help us to understand the, the wisdom of the Proverbs rightly, and that is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 to 8. In this portion of scripture, I'll bring it up now, Paul is writing to slaves. Slaves were the very lowest working class in society. Slaves gained nothing from their work. There was no career path for a slave, no promotions, no share incentive schemes. They were owned by their master. They had no rights or rewards for their labor. And yet listen to what Paul says to slaves. Bond servants or slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. So what Paul says here goes right back to the pattern established by God in Genesis 1, that we are created by God ultimately to work for God. And even if our work here on earth produces nothing for us in terms of earthly freedom or prosperity, as in the case of a slave. Paul says, all work done according to God's mandate in Genesis chapter 1, 28, it's good. It's good, it's done for the Lord, and ultimately it's God who will reward us. So now I hope you can better understand the title of our sermon today that work really is the meaning of our lives. For we were created by God to be his workers here on earth. This is ultimately what distinguishes you and me from the animals. We work for the Lord. So with that then as our theological framework, let's turn to Proverbs and see what God's wisdom now reveals about work. And what we will see uh, is that all the Proverbs which deal with this subject of work either speak about it negatively in terms of laziness uh, or positively in terms of diligence. So let's start with the negative, and we're gonna see God's warnings against laziness. Now, there are two words used in the Hebrew to describe the lazy person, uh, and they are variously translated in our English Bibles as sluggard, Lazy, slack, 
slothful and idle, and then in a couple of places, even as deceitful or treacherous. And although the warnings against laziness are scattered all over the book of Proverbs, uh, I think this passage of Proverbs 6, verse 6 to uh, 11, is the key passage which sets the scene for all the others. So let's read that together. Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, Officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now, right up front, I think we are meant to be shocked at these verses. Because as human beings, we were created to be the pinnacle of God's creation. We were the ones to whom God gave the cultural mandate to, to rule and subdue and nurture and cultivate all that God has made. And here we are being told to learn the wisdom of God regarding work from an ant. How far we have fallen that we need to turn to the tiniest of bugs to become our life coach. What a necessary and, and timely warning this is for so many in our society today who are lazy, idle, entitled, sitting around all day playing computer games, drawing pictures in the sand, scrolling for hours through Instagram, while others go to work to provide for them. God says you have less wisdom than an ant. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. So how can we identify if, if this spirit of the sluggard is perhaps lurking in our own hearts? Well, Proverbs gives us a number of simple ways uh, to identify the spirit within us. In the first place, the sluggard always makes excuses. You know what I'm talking about. If not in yourself, in others. Always excuses. Proverbs 26, verse 13. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. Can't go out of work. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard turn on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Always an excuse why they cannot get a job. Always an excuse why they cannot keep a job. It's always someone else's fault. If it's not a lion in the street, well, then you haven't met my boss. He's a lion. You haven't met my coworkers. They are the lions. And no matter what wisdom you offer them to, to upskill, to, to prove themselves faithful in the little things, to explore various avenues for employment, they always have an answer. They always have an excuse for everything. Secondly, the sluggard loves to procrastinate. 
He loves to just put things off till tomorrow. Proverbs 10, verse 5. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a son who brings shame. I'll do it tomorrow, mom. I'll do it next week, boss. Let me just wait until this or that is sorted out. Then I'll do what's needed. I'm really keen, don't worry. I just need to wait until that person first does what they need to do, and then I'll get stuck in and do what I need to do. Proverbs 14, 23, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. The sluggard loves to procrastinate. Thirdly, the sluggard takes no initiative. One of the amazing things about the sluggard is that they are shocked when no work produces no harvest, and they cannot understand why they are always struggling. Proverbs 20, verse 4, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Isn't that bizarre? He didn't plant anything, but he goes out to look and see what he can find, but he has nothing. It's a biblical principle. You reap what you sow. We, we see God's attitude to the man who takes no initiative in the parable of the talents that Jesus told in Matthew 25. The master gave his servants 10 talents and five talents and one talent uh, resources for them to use while the master is away. And listen to Jesus in Matthew 25, verse 24. He also who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid, and I went, and I hid my talent, or your talent, in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, look at these words, you wicked and slothful servant. There's the lazy man. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, gathered where I have scattered no seed. You ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you see how this parable aligns with our theology of work? That productive work is the meaning of our lives. Because this lazy servant is called wicked and ultimately worthless. The sluggard takes no initiative. Fourthly, the sluggard is greedy for easy money. The sluggard is greedy for easy money. And included in that is dishonest gain. If there's one thing which which really irks me, particularly as a pastor, as I see people in the church being led astray, it's people who trick and trap other people into earning what is called these days passive income. Wealth without work. Gain without grind. And they do this through all kinds of of pyramid schemes and get-rich-quick scams. And very often it is Christians who are promoting this to other Christians. If 
you are a promoter of these scams or you are someone who is easily attracted by the idea of earning money without working for it. Listen to God's word this morning, Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue Deceitful marketing schemes. It's a fleeting vapor and it's a trap. It's a snare of death. Proverbs 13, 11, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase. And what is the best way to get money for nothing? Well, surely it's that which is stolen, that which is acquired dishonestly, and so Proverbs 11 says much uh, about this, or Proverbs says much about this, 11.1, a false balance, a dishonest scale is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Proverbs 20, verse 10, unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So what is the biblical uh, alternative to all of these schemes and scams to kind of make easy money? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 speaks to people who've caught in this. Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. See, when we understand the theology of work, that it is good because it is a fulfillment of the cultural mandate as we subdue and nurture and cultivate all that God has entrusted to us, then any scheme, no matter how legit the person's WhatsApp status tells you it is, if it involves you getting money without labor, without honest hard work, then it's not from the Lord and it's a trap for your soul. Closely related then to this, we see that the sluggard is always chasing the next big thing. Proverbs 28 verse 19, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor, but all day long he craves and he craves. He, he wants this thing or that thing. He chases after this dream, that government tender, that pie in the sky. It's all coming, my ship's on its way. But he's not prepared to put his hand to the plow, which is busy rusting in the field and is all surrounded by weeds. He's always chasing after the next big thing. Sixthly, the sluggard is therefore poor and hungry. Proverbs makes no secret about how we are to identify the lazy person who refuses to work. Proverbs 19 verse 15 says, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep and an idle person will suffer hunger. A slack hand causes poverty but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, this next proverb, Proverbs 24, listen to how it is the exact opposite 
of the cultural mandate given by God to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Proverbs 24, verse 30. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, and the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So can I just pause at this point? There is a real warning for us to be very careful how we respond to those who are poor and hungry because they refuse to work, because they always make excuses, because they keep procrastinating, or because their ship never comes in. If we feed them without discernment and counsel, we are actually partnering with them to continue enabling their laziness. How do I say that? Well, listen to what God says in Proverbs 16, 26. A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth, in other words, his hunger that he feeds through his mouth, it urges him on. So God has purposed that hunger is meant to drive a man not to the street corner, but to work. And so feeding a lazy man is to go against God's purposes for him. Hunger should drive him to work. He does not work, but you feed him. You're going against God's purpose. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 6, this is New Testament. We, we come now and Paul writes to the Thessalonians. He says, <clears throat> excuse me, now we commend you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, in laziness, and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked day, night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So please don't overgeneralize this principle. There are genuinely people uh, who are hungry and poor. They desire to work. They will work if given the opportunity. Uh, that's not the people that we are talking about here. We are dealing with those who are choosing to be lazy and making excuses for work that is available to them. And then seventhly, the sluggard is a friend of destruction. And we need to see here that up to now, the Proverbs have been talking mainly about laziness affecting the sluggard himself. But we also see that the lazy person is, is not only not contributing to God's positively to God's world, but in reality is guilty of breaking it down and destroying it for others. Proverbs 18 verse 9, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. 
Now, we are so quick to, to condemn the looting and the destruction that we so often see in times of unrest in our country, burning down of libraries and, and schools and other municipal infrastructure. It's just senseless destruction. And yet Proverbs says that if you are slack in your work, if you cut corners, if you do a half a job, if you sweep things under the carpet, if you play solitaire on the clock, you are a brother to him who destroys. And so like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him to do work. He affects other people, not just himself. Proverbs 26.10, like an archer who wounds everyone. This is like a, a, a mass gunman who just runs around shooting everyone is one who hires a passing fool or a drunkard. It's gonna cause devastation. So there we have the warnings of God against the spirit of the sluggard, which if we are not careful, he lurks inside of all of us. And given half a chance, we'll will cause us to drift into idleness and passivity. And so we must be on our guard. And so the greatest cure to being a sluggard is to walk diligently in the ways of the Lord, to get busy with God, what God has entrusted to you. A wise worker is too busy to be lazy. So let's see in the second place, or in the next place, God's encouragement for diligence. God's encouragement for diligence. And in the first place, I want us to see that a wise worker plans. A wise worker plans. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 3. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. God hasn't called us to just wing it. He's called us to, to make plans and to commit all of our plans for work to the Lord. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. A wise worker plans not only to work hard, to work diligently, but he also plans to work smartly. He plans to work more efficiently. He plans to grow his work to become more today than it was yesterday. Is that the attitude that you go to work with? Look at Proverbs 14, verse four. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of an ox. It's easy to have a clean workshop. If you never do any work in it, it'll be clean. If you never have an oxen, your manger will be clean, but abundant crops come through hard work, planning, buying the tractor, Plowing the field, growing, requires planning. But a wise worker also prioritizes what is important. Verse 24, 27, prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Young people, did you see that? You can't have the nice house and the nice car that mommy and daddy have until you first labored in your field. God's not saying that the house and the car are unimportant, but there's a sequence. You won't get there without wise planning and hard work first. Secondly, a worker, a wise worker is patient, is patient. This is the opposite of the, the greedy, easy money, get-rich-quick schemes of the sluggard. No, Proverbs 13, 11 says, 
Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. A wise worker uh, also in the third place cares. We're moving through these uh, quickly. Uh, A wise worker cares. What a sad testimony it is of the Christian work ethic, of the goodness of work and God's purpose for us on this earth. When a Christian says, especially when I ask someone, how's it going at, at your work? Ah, Clinton, it's just a job. It pays the bills. It's a real slog. I don't really care as long as they pay me. Listen to God's word, wise workers. Proverbs 27, 23. Know well the condition of your flocks. Give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? Of course not. When the grass is gone and new growth appears and the vegetation on the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing. The lambs that you cared for, the lambs that you gave attention to, they'll provide your clothing. The goats, the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and maintenance of your girls. A wise worker cares about everything that God has entrusted to you how you deal with the talents that he has allocated to you, whether that is animals or or equipment or, or people or money or tasks. A wise worker cares, pays attention, and in doing so, God says he will provide all your needs through your hands, through the work of your hands. But that requires us to be a wise worker, to be honest, to be honest, just as we saw that dishonest weights were an abomination to the Lord, so Proverbs 16:11 says, "A just balance, just scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are His. Wise workers are people of utmost integrity. From your timesheet, to your expense claims to your use of the company's cell phone or laptop or internet access, to your tax return, God blesses those whose ways are righteous. In God's economy, integrity is worth more than anything else. Proverbs 28, 6, better is a poor man who walks in integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in, all his, in his ways will suddenly fall. So a wise worker is honest. Uh, fifthly, a wise worker is content. A wise worker is content. If only we could just grasp this point, how much less trouble we would have in our lives. Proverbs 23 verse 4 says, do not toil to acquire wealth in the The phrase here for wealth is one of great riches. Do not toil to acquire great riches. Be discerning enough to desist, to stop. Be content to know when enough is enough. When your eyes light on wealth, it's gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. Proverbs 30, verse 7, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying, there's the integrity aspect. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Please, Lord, that's all I want, says the the, the proverb. 
Otherwise, if I'm full, if I have much, I will deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or if I'm poor and steal, I profane the name of my God. A wise worker is content with that which God has given to you. Sixthly, a wise worker delivers excellence. I really love this proverb. It's one of my favorites. It says, Proverbs 22, verse 29. Sorry, I've missed a, missed a spot there. A wise worker delivers excellence. Proverbs 22, verse 29 says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? Do you see someone who delivers excellence? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. This is a proverb for which we have two very clear examples in the Old Testament. They're there in your notes. One was the construction of the the tabernacle under Moses. Another was the construction uh, of the temple under Solomon in 1 Kings. I would encourage you to read those accounts in your handout this afternoon. But there you will see men whom God filled with the Holy Spirit, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, and they were summoned by kings to do the work of excellence in the building of the temple. And that becomes then the the New Testament principle for every single person who is a Christian. We have the Spirit of God living within us, and Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians 3, and he says, do whatever you do, Work heartily, sorry if I missed that one. There we go. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. No matter how insignificant your work may seem and obscure your earthly boss may be, God says, work with excellence because you are serving the king of kings. And then finally on this point, a wise worker never stops. There is no such thing as retirement in the Bible. You may reach an age when your salaried employment ceases, I get that, but as long as you are alive on this earth, God continues to have work for you to do. Yes, your pace may slow down, but the work never ceases. Your sphere of influence may shrink, but God's purposes have not shrunk. I want you to know the biblical reason why people tend to get very old very quickly when they stop working. The Bible says it's because they stopped working. God made us to work until he determines that all your work is done. Now, how do you know when God has determined, finally, that all your work is done? It's when you open your eyes in heaven. Psalm 92, verse 12 says, the righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. That is why our over 60s ministry is called the evergreens. Genuinely, it's this verse. It's biblical. If you're not at the evergreens, you're unbiblical, I'm not sure. But um, the point is, uh, the point is, old age, 
is something to be delighted in. The fact that you don't have a salaried boss who's dictating how you work all day, every day. What a liberty to now work for the Lord, more than you've ever worked in all your life before. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which stop at the age of 65. No, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them all the days of our lives. Well, we need to close, and I want to do so very briefly. Uh, I realize we've run on this morning. Just uh, four wonderful benefits or blessings from God for those who are faithful as wise workers. So God's blessings for faithfulness. And firstly, we see that God blesses his wise workers, man, with a good night's rest. A good night's rest, sleep. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 12, this is Solomon again. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will keep him awake at night. Do you go to bed at night knowing that you have served the Lord faithfully during the day, that you've labored with skill and excellence, with patience and care, with deep thankfulness to God for your work, with a deep contentment in God for his provision? So you sleep sweetly, or are you kept awake all night with worry and anxiety, troubled over the many things which God has not given to you, or troubled over the things which you have acquired at great cost, but it was the cost of your peace and your trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3 verse 21 says, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Secondly, God's blessing for faithfulness is a generous prosperity. God's word certainly does bless or, or promise prosperity to those who are God's faithful, wise, diligent workers. But this is not a blank check as the prosperity gospel teaches for your comfort and self-indulgence. It's a contract of stewardship. Look at Proverbs eleven twenty-five: Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters himself will be watered. The people curse him who holds back his grain, who hoards things for himself. But blessing is on the head of him who sells it. The, the, the principle of God's economy is that if the blessing of God stops with you, then the blessing stops. The blessing stops. God's calling us to be wise workers so that his blessing us through our labor will become a blessing of generosity to others. Again, Ephesians 4.28 let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he can have lots of money for himself. No, so that he may have something to be generous, to share with others. And what will you be able to share with others, especially after last night? Well, nothing less than a, a lacquer braai of steak and chops. Proverbs 12, 27 says this, whoever is slothful will not roast his game. 
but the diligent man will get precious wealth. In the third place, then, God blesses his faithful workers with a greater responsibility. Again, we've seen this verse before. Do you see a man skillful in his work? Well, he won't stop there. He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. He will be given greater responsibility. 1224, the hand of the diligent will rule. Leadership, authority will be given to those who work hard while the lazy will be put to forced labor. Jesus confirmed this again in that parable of the talents to those who were faithful. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 21, Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then finally, we see that a wise worker will enjoy a glorious future. Proverbs 24 tells us, 24.12 tells us that God will ultimately repay each one of us according to our works. Now, this does not mean that our works is what saves us. The rest of Scripture makes that clear. But what it does teach is that our works will be the means by which we are judged. Our works will testify or be the evidence of our salvation, of whether we are saved or not. And so for the person who has faithfully lived out his life to do the good works which God prepared in advance for you to do, there awaits a glorious inheritance in the kingdom of God, irrespective of what you earned here on earth. So I want to close this morning with the words of Jesus where he explains so clearly how our work is ultimately the meaning of our lives because it reveals the state of our hearts towards Jesus and thus our eternal destination. So let's close with Matthew 25, verse 31 to 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, to the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous, notice this, the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, and naked and clothe you? When did we... See you sick and in prison and visit you. The king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. In other words, what Jesus is saying is as you went about your daily work of subduing the earth, cultivating, nurturing, developing, designing, fixing, repairing, raising, clothing, feeding, visiting, caring, helping, counseling, educating, gardening, painting, printing, coding, welding, sewing, delivering, protecting, digging, 
planting, reaping, counting, investing, whatever you did to one of the least of my brothers, you did it for me, says Jesus. So come, you who are blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. May that redeem work for us today as Christians, uh, and may we go and be the faithful workers that God has purposed for us to be. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Uh, We thank you for the very practical nature of the book of Proverbs that speaks so clearly and down to earth to every situation we face in life, and particularly this huge chunk of our lives, which is that of our work. Lord, help us to realign our lives, our attitudes to work, to these truths in the scriptures, and may our good works shine before men that they may see and bring glory and honor to our Father in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.